0: Canucks Central Thursday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah here in the Kintec studio. Lots to come here on this final game day. It is game 82 for the Vancouver Canucks as they are at the massive cavernous confines of Mullet Arena in Arizona.
1: It's uh, It's a huge, huge building. <laughs> And oh, wait, it's not actually that big. No, it's not very big. It's small.
0: Oh. But hey, you know what? It's so, a nice... So incident. my facts are wrong on this one. Yes. Okay.
1: You wouldn't be the only one. All right. You have a lot of company in that room.
0: <laughs> I, uh, I just got a DM. Uh, you guys were called out today.
1: Oh, I know. I got that too.
0: I got a few of these today. Yeah. Apparently. Same. Happened on uh, Canuck's, uh, Canucks Talk this afternoon.
1: Yeah. So, uh... They reacted to, or I should say, Drance reacted to what we said yesterday. Yes. Did he think it was about him?
0: I believe so. I guess so. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> did it? Did it maybe? <laughs> did it maybe hit a little too close to home for him? Maybe. Uh, potentially, I guess. But
1: <laughs> in reality, um, we were responding to a, a tweet from Jay that we got. Yeah, I know. We, during the what, show yesterday, that's what we're talking about. And yeah, and you know, I went off on a bit of a rant, but that's what the genesis of that discussion was. And uh, we put the video out on Twitter last night,
0: and mm-hmm. it, it and got it was an around. actual
1: tweet we replied to. It's yeah. not like we we made it up or there's this, this red herring or something. It's no, it's literally you know something we reacted to.
0: We had a debate with
1: Jay. Yes, and a uh, spirited debate. A
0: spirited debate with Jay. It went back and forth a little bit. And I
1: love Jay, by the way.
0: Yeah, Jay's a great guy. And Jay is a real guy yes. on Twitter as well. It's <laughs> not just like some guy we made up, like Jay.
1: Yeah, and, it, and I went off on a tangent. Yes. But that wasn't necessarily directed at Jay or anybody else. It was right. just some frustration I had based on some things that get mentioned as fact, but aren't fact sometimes. <laughs> and you know, and what I did yesterday, Dan, yeah. was I gave a homework assignment. Mm-hmm. I Or at the very least, I gave you a glimpse into what I was thinking when I said, my favorite movie is The Big Short. I used a line from that movie was... The people who kind of saw it coming, the the financial collapse, all yeah. they did was look. <laughs> so what I implore people to do is look. Like, sometimes before these takes, look. Yeah. And that's really a lesson that I think Draz learned today, too. Uh, so
0: have other teams tanked much harder than the Canucks?
1: Yes. Look at Arizona. Look at Anaheim.
0: Yeah. Um, but even if we look in a more recent time span with teams that are closer to the Canucks in the standings. Th- this is kind of what the crux of the debate has become. Other teams are shutting players down. The Canucks haven't done that. The Canucks bought at the deadline with Philip Peronic. Other teams didn't do that. Other teams sold more aggressively at the deadline than the Canucks did. Mm-hmm. You know, those are essentially what has been debated and, we talked through some of those things on yesterday's show and how we felt about them and what's right about it, what's maybe mm-hmm. not so right about it, as far as what the Canucks have done here. And well, there's a lot to parse through. So let's uh, let's start. Uh, here is uh, Thomas Trance from uh, Canucks Talk earlier today on uh, the Canucks not shutting players down while other teams have. He suggests that the Canucks have shut people down.
2: Who? Hronik. He played four games. Ilya Mikheyev. Games. He had a meaningful injury. Ilya Mikheyev had a, a four ACL. You asked who they and shut they, down. And they replaced I, I him. I you asked who they shut down, and I said who they have. Sorry, sorry. Are you not following how the Caps are shutting people down? Do you know how long Ovechkin's been day-to-day? Did I, did I disagree with any of that? Do no. you know how long Ovechkin's been day-to-day? Uh, I'm 17 days. I he's week to week. <laughs> They're just calling it day to day. TJ Oshi, like there is no comparison between shutting Mantha and TJ Oshi down for vague reasons and shutting Mikhaev down because he's he played 45 games on a torn ACL. Mantha hey, was healthy. Don't ask the question then. <laughs> you who have to shut, shut down. Who have they? There's a difference between player has torn ACL and shutting a guy down for the purposes of a tank material difference material uh, are, are you're going to argue Oliver Ekman larson should have kept him in the lineup
0: he wanted to get back in
2: canucks haven't shut anyone down <laughs> stop it philip Rodick counts 100 you know he could have kept playing you know he could have well sure i, I mean if, if it was the playoffs or something but he was clearly not well right like rick Talk had said we couldn't even see a shot he was injured when they acquired him he came back, he played four games. You don't get credit for shutting down a guy you bought at the deadline, Jamie. <laughs> kind you kind the purpose. Look, ask a different question well, then I, next no, time. I, you asked who they so shut I, down, I and think, I answered. I think your answers illustrate my point. I think your objections are illustrative. Whew. They didn't shut anyone down.
1: I mean, they did shut down Hironic. And Mikheyev, the, he could play through the injury. He had a partially torn ACL, played through the injury for the entirety of the season. He came in late because he hurt himself in preseason. And then when it became clear the team's not making the playoffs yeah. they made the coaching change. He played a game under Tockett. They yeah. shut him down. Like, he could have played. He, they literally, he was crying. He wanted to mm-hmm. play. They had to convince him, hey, the best thing for you to do is not play the rest of the season.
0: We want you to be ready for training camp
1: next year. Yes. So let's get this done. All right. Hironic played four games. They mm-hmm. said if this was the playoffs, he could have played to shut him down. Yeah. You mentioned OEL, and hey, you know, I'm I'm here for the discussion about would he actually help you or not? And I think if he was there, maybe you would reduce Quinn's minutes. Whether that's a good or bad thing, I think you know you could have played him a bit more. Or I, whatever. I would
0: say Rick Tockett would have <laughs> would have more confidence playing OEL twenty plus minutes a night than some of the players that yeah. Canucks
1: have trotted right. out recently. Exactly. Now, but in terms of what other teams are doing here, Alex Ovechkin's played seven of the last ten games. He's missed the last three. Yeah, and he's playing tonight. Yeah. Ovechkin is not taking the season off. He's hurt because he was hurt the last three games. And he's yeah. trying to get Gretzky's record. Mm-hmm. He's not punting on games if he doesn't have to. He's literally playing tonight. Yeah. So again, I said, look, Yeah. he he hasn't missed weeks. He's just been out a couple of days. TJ Oshie was shut down April 10th. Yes. So three days ago. Three days ago. And he was injured. So they shut him down. Right. John Carlson was injured. Mm-hmm. He came back from injury. Yeah. He's played nine of the last 10 games. Yeah. Playing 24 minutes a game. Yeah. <laughs> Also with Washington, did they sell as aggressively as as maybe they could have? And I'll get to that in a second. I'll mention one more thing here in terms of shutting guys down. Dylan Larkin's playing tonight for the Detroit Red Wings. Right. In Tampa Bay. So he missed one game. So he He, was actually injured, missed the game, and he he came back for the last game now. He played April 10th, missed one game, and is playing the finale tonight against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah. So in terms of shutting guys down, what I said was Van's not doing anything dissimilar from other teams. Mm -hmm. Other teams are doing similar things. I'd love to—like I I said, I'd love to see them shut a guy down today, if they could. Whether that's Patterson or Hughes, I'd love to see it. Don't think it's happening. Mentioned this yesterday. Love to see it. But they're not doing anything dissimilar from what other teams are doing. And part of this is, is it realistic? And again, if a
0: player doesn't want to be shut down, if a player doesn't have a significant injury— what are you going to do? You can't force them to stay out of the lineup, right? And JT Miller's not coming out of the lineup unless he absolutely has to. Right. Elias patterson has been chasing 100 points. He's not coming out of the lineup unless he absolutely has to. Now, Quinn Hughes was, what, a little bit sick last week, missed a practice. He did everything he could to make sure that he was ready to go the next day yeah. and get into the game because that's what Quinn Hughes does. So – there's, there's only so
1: much you can actually do to shut players down. So when we're talking about shutting guys down, and that's just responding to what was yep. mentioned there about the Capitals, the Red Wings. So th- that's the extent of that. Now, what was the other thing you mentioned? Right. Uh, what the Caps, the Caps, because I think Drance mentioned something about the Capitals and the Blues. He yes. mentioned Armstrong and he mentioned uh, the Capitals that they understood the assignment. Okay, here it is. Let, let's play the clip. Here is uh, what Drance had to say about those teams understanding the assignment And understanding probabilities. Yeah. And then the idea is look and see if that's something that actually occurs when um, and when was it successful.
2: The whole point of what we were talking about yesterday. The whole reason that this is a fixation for me is that the Canucks are an outlier. Right. Tonight, we're going to be watching closely as Detroit, Washington and St. Louis, to a lesser extent, play their games because of what it could mean for Vancouver in the draft lottery. Well, St. Louis sold more aggressively than Vancouver. Washington's been shutting down guys for suspicious reasons all along. Detroit sold more aggressively than Vancouver and has shut down Dylan Larkin. Literally all of Vancouver's peer teams have gone about doing the things that Vancouver hasn't, that Sat's describing as impractical. Look around and see if it's feasible. There's only one team behaving this way. Only one. That's the proof of concept. The whole point is that everyone else has done it this season in the NHL, the real NHL, and not like, you know, whatever, whatever like nerd GM that doesn't get as favorable coverage as, (laughs) as, as the old hockey guys. Iserman, Doug Armstrong, Barry Trotz, Brian McClellan, guys with rings. They've all done it. Come on.
1: They've all done it. Well, teams have sold more aggressively than Van. That's true. Some teams have done so, right?
0: Um, Canucks sold their two best value pieces at the deadline, Bo Horvat and
1: Luke Shen. Right. They sold their rentals. Yep. And, you know, we know the Miller stuff. There was discussions. They made some other moves. Lazar. I mean, Lazar wasn't a rental, but they were able to get him off the books, right? Now, that's not a huge win because you got a fourth for a guy you signed to a three-year deal who didn't work out, Mm -hmm. you know, but still you move the guy out.
0: I mean, every year, certain teams have better assets to sell than others. That's just sort of the natural thing. The natural—it's the way things happen in the NHL.
1: For sure. And you know what— I'm here for the discussion. I'm not yep. against you want to sell off more. Should they have done more? Could they have done more? All that. Great. Fine. Mm-hmm. But the notion that those teams understood the assignment better than Vancouver, I don't agree with. Because the St. Louis Blues went out and traded for Jacob Verana. Yes, they did. They also added Kasperi Kapanen off waivers. Yes, Jacob they Verana did. has 10 goals in 19 games. Yeah. Kasperi Kapanen got on a hot streak as soon as he showed up in St. Louis. The Capitals traded a first round pick for Rasmus Sandin, who has like 14 points in 18 games. Yes.
0: These are players that both of those teams who are right there with the Canucks in the standings, those teams went out and acquired, bought not for this year, but because they hope that they will help their team next year and the years ahead of that. Exactly like what the Canucks did with Philip Peronik,
1: and like I said, like I, I'm here for the discussion of you want to move guys out or, or whatever. All I'm saying is Van's not doing anything too dissimilar from what some of these other teams are doing. And this notion that these teams are doing something so different from Vancouver is not true. Some are, like the Arizonas, like we talk about, but the Caps, the Caps certainly aren't. Yeah. They haven't. They've traded some guys. They stole they signed Van Riemsdyk like, to a contract extension. Yeah. They kept the- Nick Jensen. Yep. They they
0: gave. Those guys' extensions. Washington, like who did Washington really sell? They sold Lars Eller, right? Yeah. Unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. And Orlov. They sold Orlov and Garnet Hathaway to the Bruins in a one, one-time one deal, one yeah. package deal. Orlov, they knew they weren't going to sign. They had the contract discussions with him. Uh, I believe what was reported by Elliott Friedman that he heard he wanted, you know, Orlov wanted something in the six-year range and... The Capitals were looking in the three-year range. So once they determined, we're not going to bring this guy back, let's move on, they went about doing that. So those things are absolutely true. This is factual. This is not to say we agree with everything the Canucks have done and that what the Canucks do is gospel. And yes, they've done it the right way. That's not exactly what the argument was. It was just
1: let's be intellectually don't like well, be honest about the situation. Well, and that's the thing, right? I mean, and that's all I'm trying to say here. Yes. And it's like when when people are like, "Oh, Vancouver should have done what the Washington Capitals did and the Blues did." And it's like, "Well, they kind of did." Yeah. You know, no other team bought at the deadline that's not making the playoffs. It's like, "Well, the Blues and the Capitals did."
0: The the biggest problem for the Vancouver Canucks is just it's it's been results.
1: Yeah, and the, I mean, the Senators traded for Jacob Chickering.
0: Yes. And they they're missing out on the playoffs. And it was pretty clear that they were going to miss out on the playoffs when uh, they were already sort of probability-wise, going to miss out on the playoffs when they traded for Jacob Chikrin, right? The only difference here is the results. Because a lot of the things that these teams have done is similar, right? You look at Washington, they bought Rasmus Sandin. You look at St. Louis, they bought Vrana. They, They took Kasperi Kapanen off of waivers when they didn't have to. And the Canucks went and got Philip Peronick. Sure. All those teams did it. They all sold certain assets at the deadline too. The difference is results. The Canucks have the seventh best record, actually sixth best record in the league since since the um since the trade deadline. Whereas Washington and Detroit have been very poor.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and listen, like when we look at this overall thing here, like everything Duran said, I don't disagree with, right? Mm-hmm. I do agree with largely a lot of things that we talk about in terms of what the team needs to do, how aggressive they have to be, and you have to look outside the box to make moves and do everything, Right. But the point I was trying to make yesterday, and this wasn't about trans to begin with, it's about it was going not. back and translated about else. Drance, because so, yeah, he always rep- does. <laughs> so we replied to him about it. So we're having some fun with it. But to me, it, it just comes back to when we're talking about what the team is doing. Let's not talk. Let's not say they're doing something or not doing something that they're not doing. Let's just be accurate about what's happening, what's not happening. Because we can talk about other teams, what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But this notion that Vans should be doing what other teams are doing. Like yesterday, the reason I got triggered was because it's like, well, do what the Red Wings are doing. Because the Red Wings, they're not playing their guys big minutes. Do what the Red Wings are doing. And I'm like, okay, well, they, they sold aggressively. They traded Heronic very aggressively. But if you look at their last 10 games, well, Larkin missed one playing tonight. Yeah, Maureen Sider's minutes are down a bit. But Moritz Sider's playing 24 minutes a game. Dylan Larkin, until he got injured, was playing 1952. In these last 10 games, both their ice times, cider and mm-hmm. Larkin, was up 30 seconds per game. Yeah. Over the last 10 games. So their ice time wasn't reduced. Now, in terms of why the Canucks are playing Quinn Hughes 27 minutes a game. And I said this yesterday. We both said this. I'd rather have him play less. I don't want him play that, playing that many yeah. minutes. Ice time
0: is a fair argument. because it is. Yes. Quinn Hughes has played the most average minutes uh, since the deadline
1: as well. But let's look at some of these blue lines that mm-hmm. we're talking about okay. here. So... The Capitals have Carlson, Ferivari, Jensen, and Sandine. They're yeah. all playing over 20 minutes a game. Yeah. Uh, the Blues have Pareko, Falk, Letty, and Krug. Playing 22-23 minutes a game. Krug's minutes are down a bit, about an 18. The last, I'm talking the last 10 games. I'm not doing the last 82 games. Yeah. The last 10 games. Sandine just scored,
0: by the way. Washington leads the Devils
1: 2-9. Great. Fantastic. <laughs> Great for the Canucks. Uh, the, uh, despite yeah. the, Wing, the Despite trading the Red Wing, despite trading Heronica, the Red Wings have Cider, Sherratt, Walman, and Mata. Mm-hmm. They can spread the ice time around yep. a little bit. Flyers have Provorov, Russeline, and Cam York's ice time's gone up. He's playing better down the road. But they're all playing 20 minutes a game. Actual NHL defensemen. All playing 20 minutes a game. Yeah. Travis Konechny's missed a few games the last 10, but he's played the last few. His minutes are up to 21 minutes per game. Yeah. And listen, all I'm saying is none of these teams are doing the things that people are attributing them to, like understanding the probabilities, understanding the assignment, reducing ice time, shutting guys down. Like, I'm looking at the facts. Like I said yesterday, just look. Just yep. take a look. Just when look. I look and compare, I'm not saying Vancouver can't do more. All I'm saying is we're trying to hold them to a standard that largely doesn't fully exist. Yes. And that's all I'm trying to say. And,
0: and it makes sense. The, the ice time thing is is huge here because... I get it. You know, they're playing Pedersen, Miller, and Hughes as much as anybody else in the league. Fact, right? But you can't act like other teams aren't doing things similarly. That's the point here. Yeah, Quinn Hughes is playing the most minutes of any player since the deadline. But if you look, Mike Matheson is third on that list. He's playing more than 26 minutes a night. For the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. So he's playing
1: he's their best a shade less. He's than their Queen best Hughes. defenseman. They don't have other options. The coach plays him more. Uh, Whether he's good enough or not, different question, but it's about use usage mm-hmm. depending on the options you have available to you.
0: Eric Carlson over twenty six minutes a night. Cam Fowler over twenty five minutes a night. Roman Yossi over twenty five minutes a night. Seth Jones over twenty four minutes a night. How far down the list do we want to go? Other bad teams, other teams that are tanking are still leaning on their stars. Because guess what? Coaches coach to win,
1: no matter what. Right. No, 100%. 100%. And like I said yesterday, because people were mentioning, what about the coach thing? I said yesterday, the, the reason the tank got hurt the most was how they handled the coaching situation, or how they mishandled the coaching situation. Yeah. They got to a point where they had to fire him, mm-hmm. Broudreau, but that was their own doing. You the, the situation season... became completely untenable exactly now that was a lot of their own doing yeah absolutely but that to me is the biggest reason why the tank didn't go on yeah was the coaching thing everything else we're debating about to me is like minor little things here and there because i don't think the Canucks are doing anything too dissimilar from other teams Mm -hmm. you can expect them to do a bit more but i have questions about how realistic that would have been in terms of the results as well and when you look at what's actually happening practicality wise yes that's what i was looking at
0: it's um it's about bringing facts to the table uh, Dylan Larkin has not been shut down. He's playing the final game of the season for the Detroit. Raiders.
1: Now, I thought when I heard yesterday that he was going to be shut down as well. Yeah, like I thought that as well. Like I thought, hey, we heard he's down, done the last game. He's not going to play the last game as well. I thought. Yep. So that one's a bit of a surprise to all of us. Well,
0: g- like unless guys are truly hurt, they want to play. A lot of these players. And that's, that's what we're learning there. You yeah, know, Drance mentioned Mantha as well. I mean, Mantha's been healthy scratched a bunch this, this year. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not like it's all peaches and roses for Anthony Mantha with the Washington Capitals. Like, he's some guy that is just an unbelievable player, you know, the power forward that everybody wanted him to be. He's been terrible for the Capitals this year. That trade has aged incredibly poorly for them, even though Jacob Brana is no longer with the Detroit Red Wings. T.J. Oshie was shut down three days ago. And maybe these last couple of games are the difference between the Canucks finishing 8th or 10th. Maybe. And this helps Washington or whoever finish below the Canucks in the standings. But it's not too dissimilar from what the Canucks have done.
1: No, not too dissimilar. Now, Drance also brought up a point uh, about uh, my take that given that the free agent market's thin this offseason, that it would help the trade value of Besser and Garland. Now, The players I think it's going to affect, like I mentioned, I wonder about Besser, but I'm not sure about Besser. Like we said for a while now, I'm not sure you can trade him or do it for value. But I think Garland, Bavillier, and Miller, given the dearth of talent available, could be options in trade that are interesting. Now, maybe Besser, but I think those guys, especially when you look at the trade market. Now, in the spirit of what we mentioned, Drance Drance made a great point about it. Like he gave a rational argument for it. I'm not going to act superior and say my take's better than his. We'll find out, right? Yeah. We have different takes on stuff. That's completely fine. And I think he made a rational argument for why he thinks that's not going to help the Vancouver Canucks. I think based on what was rumored around JT mm-hmm. and how Bavilliers played mm-hmm. and even Garland down the stretch, there could be a better market because of it.
0: Yeah. So we'll see. We've, uh, we've been pretty consistent that it's still going to be hard to trade Besser this summer.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, that one I, I definitely think is is still going to be a problem contract. And I use a line from The Big Short. Mm-hmm. All they did was look. I'll le- use another one to end this with. And this is not directed at Drance, just in general. This is my, the point I was trying to make. And again, I, I brought the movie up because I love the movie. More quoting of Big Short up. here on uh, Canuck right. Central. And this is The Big Short, but it's actually Mark Twain. It's not what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that ain't so. Hmm. Say it ain't so Dan Riccio and
0: Satyar Shah. Canuck Central continues. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. Now, I know, um, you know, one of the other things uh, we talked about yesterday uh, as far as could the Canucks have done more to tank out? And one of those things being, should they have played Thatcher Demco less? Personally, I say yes, but also Kevin Woodley provided us with some good takes or at least insight as to why Demko played as many games as he did, why it was important for him to play a full starters workload after he came back from the injury. And that's exactly uh, what's happened in the 17 games he's played. Colin Delia, though, gets the finale tonight as the Canucks take on the Arizona Coyotes. The Arizona Coyotes, who have played Clayton Keller nearly 21 minutes a night uh, for the last month and a bit. Just throwing that out there for absolutely no reason at all. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Let's welcome in our next guest. It is Harman Dial of The Athletic. Thanks for this, Harm. How are you?
3: I'm doing well, guys. How are you?
0: Uh, We're sort of looking at this end of season push that the Canucks have made and, and it, it, it kind of is right. Uh, I think they've got the sixth best record in the league since, uh, since the trade deadline. Um, I I feel as though a lot of that just simply comes down to Thatcher Demko uh, coming in and stabilizing what's been going on in between the pipes. So what's your take on that?
3: Yeah, a big chunk of it absolutely has been Demko coming back and returning to his um, his dominant uh, sort of self and and form, the typical attender that he was last season. Part of it was also uh, the schedule softening up. So I think those were the two biggest drivers. Um, But it is interesting when we have this this discussion about, um, you know, where exactly they finish and, you know, what elements sort of went into that. And um, did the Canucks have control over certain things that made them finish higher in the standings? The other thing to keep in mind right now is, you know, when you look at, for example, um, Washington, that is, um, you know, three slots uh, behind uh, v- Vancouver in the overall league standings, like the gap there is only, um, is only two points, right? So you're talking about a very, very slim margin that determines the difference between drafting, let's say, like eighth and 11th potentially. Um, and so with that slight sort of margin, that's where you can then look at, um, even if it's not Demko. Um, even if you look at, for example, in the last 25 games, Quinn Hughes has played the most minutes of any NHL player. Um, Elias Pettersson has has played, uh, I think, the fourth most minutes um, of uh, of any NHL forward. Uh, JT Miller is also in the top 10. So when you look at, you know, just how hard those guys have been pushed, um, you know, that's you know that that could be the margin right there. Or, or even or even if if not, I think the bigger discussion. And I'm not saying this is right or wrong, right? Because clearly. Management is prioritizing sort of next season, but you look at the timing of when, um, uh, of when Rick Tockett was bought in, it was a little bit odd because it was at a point in the season where it was too late to salvage and make a run for the playoffs this season. And yet with the 36-game runway, it was enough to where the, the typical new head coach bump that you get um, that could, you know, that could legitimately, you know, make that, make that, uh, make that impact, uh, especially in an environment where when a new coach comes in, it's a fresh sort of slate for every, everybody. And it's like a kick in the rear for the players who all of a sudden, it's like new bosses here, new opportunities are on the line, uh, to play special teams up the lineup. So it, like the internal competition rises a lot. You obviously get the new message, you get some tactical tweaks. Um, it's something that can like really get a club going in the short term, um and so i'm sure you know that was that was part of it uh as well and, and of course the canucks look in mid they had to make a change um in relieving boudreaux i was just surprised that they uh, opted to go you know name talk it right away as opposed to let's say naming an interim like uh like mike yo promoting him and then waiting till closer to the end of the season maybe with a handful of games left to go uh, or, ev- or even in the summer where you aren't sort of worried about it um you know, uh, necessarily harming your your draft stock because but, but is it, it right?
0: realistic? Like, uh, would an interim let us use Mike Yo as an example. Harm. Yeah, uh, if Mike Yo is taking a job behind an NHL head, like as an NHL head coach, even as an interim, is he not taking that job and saying to himself, "This is my opportunity to prove that." I can be an NHL head coach, and I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to win as many games as possible. Ergo, he would still play as much of Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, and J.T. Miller as he possibly could.
3: Sure, maybe the the difference though is that Yo doesn't have a good track record as a head coach in the NHL. Right? We saw what happened in St. Louis, where he was fired before uh, Craig Berube took over and took the Blues to the to, to the Stanley Cup. So right off the bat, like there's a big difference in the in the coach, head coach quality between talkit and Yo. Second, when the players know that it's an interim guy, they're like it's just not like they know this isn't the boss that's gonna stay. It's not going to um, you know, you're not gonna have that same level of internal competition where guys are going, Okay, I might have an opportunity to get second unit power play time, or this might be an opportunity for me to get top six top six minutes um or or get earn more minutes on the back end because you know people are player people are just kind of you know going through um going through the motions so yeah I actually I I still think that even if you went the interim route I think that would have made a tangible difference again I'm not sitting here saying that that's what the Canucks should have done Uh, I'm just saying that yes like hiring target when they did I think that's part of um Uh, and doing it early as opposed to, let's say, at the end of the season or even in Mm -hmm. summer – I still think that at least made some difference in where they'll ultimately finish.
1: Because I'm, I'm with you, Harm, in terms of, and I mentioned this yesterday, I think the biggest thing that impacted you know the results is the coaching change in and of itself, right? Like, and if you don't make the coaching change or don't have to make the coaching change, then perhaps it's a little bit different. The one thing that was interesting to me looking through um, usage around the league, and we kind of talked about this in the first segment, the teams that are out of it in the playoffs, it's not that they're reducing the minutes of their players, they're just not playing them a ton. And I think that's the, the big difference here, right? Like, teams aren't actively trying to tank games. They're just doing what they've done all year to be bad.
3: Yeah. No, and, and that's where, you know, um, it, it's not like anybody's advocating that Quinn Hughes, all of a sudden, you play him 19, 20 minutes yeah. a night, right? It's just, yeah. instead of nearly 30 every game, how about 24 minutes per game, which is still the the workload for an average number one defenseman. Yeah. Um, or, you know, we've had a lot of games to release. Pedersen has pushed 22, 23, 24 minutes per night. How about instead just average first-line minutes? Um, especially when we saw, you know, at times, for example, um, you know, and obviously he's been hurt now now um, down the stretch, but for somebody like Vasily Podkos, was still only playing like seven, eight minutes per game. Um, it, I would have, you know, even for the sake of giving young players an opportunity, I would have liked to see, you know, the the minutes distributed just a little bit more evenly where a guy like Pedersen's maybe playing 19, 20 minutes per night. Uh, you know, J.T. Miller hopefully you know crossing over the 20-minute mark too often, and then you feed a few of those minutes to somebody like Podolski, and hopefully a young player like that is averaging 11, 12 minutes a night now instead of seven to eight. Harmon
0: Dial, our guest here on uh, on Canucks Central. I know uh, you've got your 10 takeaways uh, on the Canuck season up now at uh, at the Athletic, and Patterson just hit 100 points, and I guess you know when you hit that sort of pinnacle as a player. And everybody's sort of looking at you, looking at you now as one of the top forwards, top centers in the league. Like, what's next for Elias Patterson? Is there another level he can get to in his career?
3: Yeah, I absolutely think so. Uh, when you look at Patterson's game, maybe it's not necessarily so much that he's going to be challenging for our Ross trophies moving forward, but I still think there's another step that he can take uh, in becoming even better. Uh, Defensively, he's already really well-rounded as a two-way sort of presence. Mm -hmm. But uh, for him, I I still think there's room that, like, he could really sort of grow because of that hockey sense he has, because of the work rate. Uh, We've seen obviously him develop into a penalty killer recently, but there's still work to be done in terms of you look at, for example, his face-off ability. He's still only won 44 percent of his draws uh, this season. If that's an area where he really works hard, uh, works hard at it. Uh, could he become even better and be the sort of player that you can lean on to be uh, the first over the boards on, on a penalty kill? Uh, and that's huge because right now, Pedersen's really effective as a penalty killer. But until you can count on him to win draws at a really high end rate, he's not somebody that you want on your first PK unit. Uh, and of course, that's an area where, where again, the Canucks are uh, dead last um, in, in the PK. And, and so it's like if Pedersen can take a step there over the next couple of seasons in that capacity... Um, that can add um, that can add more to his all around uh, all around value, and I really think that if as a lot of times with with top players um, of Pedersen's caliber, you look at their talent, you look at how smart they are, you look at um, the way that they've been able to, for example, earlier in his career, Pedersen picking a shot, obsessing over it, and then getting better at it. Um, if Pedersen wants to become a dominant two way player. If he looks at that as okay, that's the next level for me now that I've you know crossed a century point mark. I absolutely believe he can he can do that um, and become the sort of player who um, you know maybe he's not winning sulky trophies, but could he be a guy that uh, produces at a really high rate and you look at it as one of the one of the best one of the top two way centers in, in the game? Why not? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, absolutely, because I mean. When I watched him his first year harm, I kind of thought to myself, I think he's going to actualize his defensive ceiling before his offensive ceiling because he's going to take him a while to really physically mature and really come into his own. And because he's so responsible, maybe he'll never be a hundred plus point player. And not to say his defensive game's you know, taking a big dip down, it just hasn't evolved to, to the same rate as offensive game has evolved. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think the biggest place of improvement for him is defensively. Not that he's been bad, but if he actually takes that step and becomes one of the elite two way guys, plus he's a hundred point player, now all of a sudden we're talking about maybe a handful of guys in NHL history who did that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've sort of seen even, even areas tightening up where, when you look at his. Um, you know there have been there have been instances, and, and these are just small, like really really small things that you're it's like you're splitting hairs over, but yeah. little things like in the defensive zone, you know sometimes he might overhandle the puck a little bit, mm-hmm. or um, in the offensive zone we know how adept he is at making plays in high traffic, but sometimes they'll force a play when it might not really be there. And look, mis- you know all all the top players make mistakes, all of them uh, make turnovers, but as he becomes even better at pattern recognition as he develops even more confidence in his game, as he maybe even gets um, you know builds more chemistry with uh, with his line mates and can develop that level of trust as the team around him even improves. So that Pedersen doesn't look at um, you know you know look at his own game and think I have to put the team on my back for us to win. Um, once you know that pressure comes off a little bit too, then you could you, you could see him you can see him start to be able to, you know, pay attention to some of those other details um, uh, a little bit more. I absolutely agree because um, if you look at even somebody like Connor McDavid or earlier in his career, I remember in the 2019 season, for example, um, analytically, his defensive numbers were, were really bad. And, you know, Pedersen's numbers uh, defensively, in terms of two-way perspective, are, are really good, right? They're not, they're not at that sort of, you know, mm-hmm. worried about it or anything. But I remember the conversation at that time was, oh, McDavid's a you know, defensive liability or, or he's, he's got a lot of area to improve. But it's like you saw a rapid improvement in that once the Oilers fleshed out their depth a little bit so that it, wa- it wasn't just McDavid single-handedly um, trying to drive things for them. So, um, you know, Pedersen's evolution as a two-way forward and, and becoming even better defensively might even become accelerated if, by sort of external circumstances if, if the team around him becomes better.
0: So as far as, um, you know, this team and and where it goes next, Harm, you know, as we look to next year, uh, how do they, we know the situation with the salary cap, we know it's going to be difficult, there's going to have to be some maneuvers in order to make this team better, but do you see where they need the most help with this roster right now? It seems the club has said third line center, maybe add a little bit on defense again. Where do you see the holes are right now? For
3: me on the back end, I, I, would, I still think the Canucks are missing a defensively oriented top four defenseman. Yes. Um, especially when you look at, we've had this conversation about the penalty kill again being awful. Uh, we saw the Canucks sort of change out personnel, right? At least in terms of the forward group. Um, we, we've seen Pedersen take a step. We've seen players like Joshua get an opportunity. McKayev sort of came in. And I expect McKayev to help more next season once he isn't sort of playing through that torn ACL. Uh, we saw Lazar come in. Uh, we've seen Dickinson, you know, the Canucks experiment with bringing him in last season. Um, at this point, though, when you look at the back end on the penalty kill, I think that's where they have the biggest weakness, especially in terms of the backdoor plays that they allow. I think one of the underrated things that we don't talk enough about is how much the Canucks miss the penalty killing um, value of um, Edler and Tanev, right? I, I think we took that for granted a little bit, or at least I did. Um, and once that's been gone, the Canucks haven't been able to find a way to, um, to really replace it. And so, obviously, bringing Phil Peronick in, um, you, know, you know, he'll be able to help on the penalty kill. But even even in Detroit, for example, he was a second-unit type of guy. And obviously, his results were really good in that role. But I still think they need another defensively-oriented uh, blue, line, blue liner who can not only help um, stabilize things at 5-on-5, five five, but also be the sort of uh, player that can really help bolster the penalty kill.
1: Well, and when I look at overall for the Vancouver Canucks and the PK improvements, because, you know, when we look at the ice time stuff, and I don't want to go back to it, but like, I also look at the team and I'm like, who can actually kill penalties here, right? And you look at their third and fourth line centers, they don't have one. And if I'm looking at stylistically, the player that they want to add, would you rather have a guy who can do a bit of everything, or do you want to have a guy who can play the matchup role and maybe not have any offense, but just be the matchup guy that can kill penalties and take that heavy lifting? Or would you like to see a more well-rounded player as a third-line centerman?
3: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, the interesting thing also is going to be, if you go the route of more of a defensive sort of specialist type of guy, um, like we saw, first of all, those those types of players might be Like, if you can find, you know, if you can really dive deep, you might find sometimes a gem under the radar just because, you know, that type of player doesn't, um, you know, put up a lot of flashy numbers. Like you look at, for example, Toronto, Um, they found David Kamp from Chicago, signed him as a free agent, very cheap deal. Um, And he's been, um, you know, I I did an article a couple of weeks ago on the NHL's sort of best shutdown centers in a third line role. He has some of the best defensive impacts in the NHL and he, and he makes one five and, and this was a guy who got, you know, no fanfare and free agency. And that was just an example of uh, a team that has a lot of resources to be able to find these players sort of under the radar, looking at a guy that, you know, no, he, you know, he didn't get any buzz because he doesn't put up any points, but um, they put him in the right circumstance. And again, he's not a guy that scores a lot, but um, he brings a sort of defensive value, especially in the penalty kill. So, um, I wouldn't mind if the Canucks, you know, roll the dice on trying to find, um, you know, one or two of those under-the-radar sort of um, uh, sort of bargains, especially if you're in a scenario where, let's say, the Canucks um, are are not able to move a player like Connor Garland, right? And he's back with the team next season. You may end up with a scenario where you still have a lot of um, scoring talent on the wings, and we've seen Garland playing in the bottom six. So if you have a third-line center, for example, or, who shores up a lot defensively and can really help raise the bar on your penalty kill. And and maybe you're, you're like, okay, but he doesn't bring much offense to the table. Could you then just pair him with a player like a Connor Garland? You look at and go, all right, you expect the winger to drive the bus offensively. And this, you know, this center can be more of the, the reliable stalwart um, in, in his own end. And, and could you solve it that way? Because realistically, like, let's be honest, if you're looking for a guy who can, you know, both be effective in a shutdown role, um, you know, be a number one PK guy, and provide some offense. Like There are very few players like that who are readily available, and if they are, they're going to cost you a lot, whether it's on the trade market or for agency. Those types of players are really hard to find, so you may have to sacrifice in some department. And if you're sacrificing in a department, I wouldn't mind them sacrificing a little bit offensively.
0: One of the things um, about this management group has been their ability to identify players and at least identify talent. And we see that with Kuzmenko. I think we see it again with uh, Akito Hirose more recently. Is this uh, at least the one thing that maybe um, we should feel confidence in their ability to identify talent?
3: Absolutely. They've shown really well in that area. I mean, you look at the impact, even uh, somebody like Dakota Joshua, um, has had for them uh, this season. you know. Talk about finding a guy who wasn't really on anybody's radar, and he's been in a really reliable bottom six uh, piece for them. You look at Niels Oman, uh, nowhere from Europe, and playing NHL minutes for you. Um, Ethan Baer has been a reliable stopgap, cost him just a fifth-round pick. Uh, they've excelled in that area, and it isn't just identifying the talent, but recruiting it and being able to sell a player on why he should come to Vancouver, right? Because you look at Kuzmenko... Everybody knew that, okay, nobody knew that he was going to be this 39-goal scorer, but everybody figured that, okay, this is a guy who you know, might put up 40 points, 50 points, might, might be really effective in a middle six role. People knew about Kuzmenko, and there were a lot of teams after him. So in the case of somebody like Kuzmenko, it wasn't just identifying the talent. It was, okay, you know, there's all this competition, and you have Edmonton, for example, pitching Kuzmenko on... Oh, imagine the prospect of coming here and you know maybe even getting reps with McDavid, Power play one potentially, and being able to snatch Kuzmenko from an opportunity like that and, and you know being able to sell them on the vision of coming to vancouver um, it's the recruitment aspect that I think is huge as well, especially even if you look at um, Aiden McDonough. There was a point where you know obviously, if he waited till August, he could have been a free agent uh, and picked his destination um, and there was a point where I, I've got to be honest. I thought it was a 50-50 if he was going to sign here. I, I was very, I wasn't one hundred percent convinced that uh, he was leaning that way, especially when they made that push to try and get him to sign after his junior season last year. Uh, so for, the, for them to be able to, you know, win on that and get McDonough to sign as well, it's, um, you know, that's that's a credit on them, and it's going to absolutely be vi- vital for them to uh, continue to, to show this attribute moving forward. And, and we'll see, right? Like, let's hope they also hit on Philip Johansson, right? a uh, player who right-shot defenseman the Canucks need, right-shot defenseman, he's had a good year in Sweden, and they expect him to be able to make an NHL impact um, You know, next season. I'm curious to see where he's at as well. This has definitely been a strength of management.
0: Harm, really appreciate the time. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Uh, there is Harman Dial of The Athletic joining us here on Canucks Central. And, you know, in the in the big debate of the hour of what could the Canucks have done more, Harm landing on the coach as being the biggest thing that has helped the Canucks have a much better record at this uh, stage of the season than probably you would have expected given the way things went earlier on. One thing I don't think they ever could have avoided was and is the extremely soft schedule they've had. To close yeah. the year,
1: and honestly, like I will say this like, I, I am surprised that Vancouver plays playing this much better. Like, they, everything they showed us, like, they showed us who they were this season, yes. And everything they showed us was this team's not gonna get it together, no, you know. And then Tockett comes in, and to his credit, he gets them on board. And you can actually also look at it negatively and say, So, you guys had this in you, yeah, you know, and like now <laughs> you're waiting, you know, so it's very frustrating. I get it, right? But I do think. The, it's a the coaching change that made the big impact. I don't think there's any way to go past it. You're right about the schedule, but I do think... And De- and Demko. And Demko like, playing the way... I, no, I,
0: no coach is saving them from having... Two things you know, I didn't expect. ...terrible save percentage.
1: I didn't expect Taka to have this improvement. Yeah. I thought it would take time, and I thought he's going to come in and, like, you know, crack the whip, and these guys are going to wilt, and it's going to be tough, and it's going to yeah. get a little hard for them, and, you know, it, it'll take time to get them all going. But I'm surprised by that, and I thought Demko would have to find his game when he came back. The fact that he looked... Lights out. First game, yeah, was was ridiculous. I think Stan, that's your phone, by the way. Oh man, I don't even
0: know what's <laughs> going on here. Siri's yelling at us from yeah. somewhere.
1: <laughs> you kept looking at my phone. I'm like, I don't think I'm looking at my watch. I'm <laughs> looking at my phone. <laughs> too
0: many gadgets around here. What are you? Like, too much going on. I'm having trouble with the connection. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need you right now, anyways. <laughs> Uh, Sam Cosentino is going to join us. Uh, Cugino Sam Cosentino will join us next on Canuck Central.